Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't had the honor of meeting you, uh, my name is Chris, and along with Pastor Will, I serve here at Asbury as one of the pastors. It is our joy to have you with us this morning. Good morning to those of you worshiping with us online right now. Uh, when I checked Facebook a moment ago, we had about 31 people worshiping with us online, and I know that sometimes that number can represent multiple people at home, and so we're grateful that all of you are with us. And make sure if you are visiting us today and you haven't been here before, that you grab one of those Connect cards that Will had mentioned fill it out. Uh, We would love the opportunity to follow up with you. Let's pray together. God, how grateful we are for Asbury United Methodist Church, this congregation that you called into existence decades ago, that you continue to use each and every day to change human lives, to help people experience your presence, your glory, your majesty, um, your love. Uh, We pray uh, that we would experience your Holy Spirit um, in a powerful way today, uh, that you would show up and that you would put me as a preacher behind the cross of Jesus Christ so that he might be glorified and lifted up. I ask all these things in his name. Amen. Well, back in the early 1900s, there was an English playwright by the name of J.M. Barry. And so one night, uh, Barry was visiting the home of this couple that he knew in London. Uh, this couple was pretty good friends of his. And this couple had five children. All of them were boys. And so imagine living in a house with five boys. The youngest boy's name was Peter. Uh, Peter was an energetic kid. He was a rambunctious kid, uh, just lots of energy. He was also pretty quick on his feet. He was a sharp kid, a bright kid. Well, after dinner was over, Barry was sitting in the living room with the host couple, and they were just um, enjoying each other's company. They were chit-chatting, having some conversation. All of a sudden, Peter went up to the candy dish. They had a candy dish in the room, and he began to stuff his face full of chocolates, just one chocolate after another. Well, finally, Peter's mom looked at her son, and she said, Peter... If you keep eating those chocolates, you're going to be sick tomorrow. Well, Peter took another piece of chocolate, he put it in his mouth, and he defiantly said to his mother, no, mother, I'm going to be sick tonight. (laughs) Barry was so inspired by Peter, uh, he was working on a play at the time, that he decided to name the title character after him. Anybody know what play that was? Peter Pan. Uh, Up here on the screen, this is a program of the play Peter Pan. Uh, Before Peter Pan was a movie by Disney, It was actually a play, and what I want us to notice here, if you could read this, is the play's original subtitle. What does it say? The boy who wouldn't grow up. The boy who wouldn't grow up. That's what many of us think of when we think of Peter Pan, right? Before we think of his unruly shadow, before we think of his ability to fly, before we think of Captain Hook, Tinkerbell, the Lost Boys, Wendy, we remember the fact that Peter Pan didn't want to grow up that he wanted to remain a perpetual child. Well, actually, scientists have discovered that like Peter Pan, a lot of us have fears and reservations about getting older. Anybody have fears and reservations about getting older? Okay, you're honest this morning, and I appreciate that. Now, we tend to, we tend to get over those fears and reservations because we realize over time that growing older is inevitable. You can't avoid it. But not everybody learns this. 
Uh, there's actually this really rare psychiatric condition that affects less than 5% of the population known as garoscophobia. Uh, garoscophobia, in a nutshell, is the fear of growing up or the fear of growing older. And over the years, there's been a small number of people diagnosed with this condition. Uh, for example, as I was working on this message, I was uh, reading this story about this 14-year-old boy in Mexico. Now, this was back in 2015, so this was six years ago. There was this 14-year-old boy in Mexico who, when he was 11 years old, was diagnosed with garoscophobia, a pretty severe case of garoscophobia. This kid did whatever he could to stun his growth. For example, when he found out that the nutrients in food would help him to grow, he began to eat as little as possible. And in the process, he lost 26 pounds, which is not good when you're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. He also would slump down to make himself look smaller. He would speak in this really high-pitched voice. I'm not going to mimic it, but he would speak in this high-pitched voice to make himself sound younger. If anybody ever told this kid that he looked taller or older or bigger, instead of being excited about it, like most kids would be, if you go up to a child and you say, oh, you look so tall or you look big or you look older, the kid gets excited. But instead of getting excited, this kid would get hysterical. He would get upset and he would start to cry. It was difficult to console him. Because in a sense, this kid wanted to be like Peter Pan. He wanted to remain a child forever. Well, folks, as human beings, we know that we're not meant to stay children forever. At some point, we are meant to grow up. This holds true for our physical lives, but it also holds true for our spiritual lives. You know, when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, in other words, when we give our hearts and our lives over to God and we become Christ followers, we start out in some sense as babies, as children spiritually speaking. Uh, we're in the early stages of discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're learning the ABCs, the one, two, threes of the faith. Uh, but then the hope is that by God's good grace, we'll eventually move beyond that infant-like stage, that child-like stage, to one of consistent maturity and constant growth. And of course, here at Asbury, we're committed to that process. We're committed, from taking, uh, we're committed when it comes to taking people from where they are when they come to faith in Jesus Christ to where God wants them to be. The issue, though, happens when you and I choose to resist that maturing process and instead remain what I would call Peter Pan Christians. Can you say this with me? Peter Pan Christians. What are Peter Pan Christians? Basically, Peter Pan Christians are those who refuse to grow up spiritually. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, and so as we get into this topic, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read from, uh, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, uh, the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and the beginning part of Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, this is the scripture text that we're going to focus on this morning. And so listen with me here, and the words will be up on the screen, as the writer lays out his own frustrations and concerns uh, with people who refuse to grow up spiritually. And so we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 5. There is much more, the writer says, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. 
Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Uh, this is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. Now, uh, just a bit of background uh, here as we get into this passage from Hebrews. Uh, we actually don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, early on, the church thought that the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews uh, because uh, Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. But now most scholars doubt that because Paul's name is not attached to it. In fact, no name is attached to it. It's an anonymous document. We don't know who wrote it. But whoever this author was, this author clearly had a passion and a desire and a zest for leading people into a richer, fuller, deeper understanding into the person of Jesus, what we would call Christology. Uh, just like theology is the study of God in a general sense, Christology is the study of Jesus Christ in a particular sense. And so when we're talking about Christology, we're talking about who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what his death on the cross was all about. And so when we get to chapter 5 of Hebrews, what the writer has been doing here is the writer's been spending some time explaining to his audience. And by the way, this is important. His audience would have included Jewish Christians. In other words, Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, and because they had converted to Christianity, because of their Jewish background, they would have had a fairly solid understanding of the Old Testament, uh, what they would have called the Hebrew Scriptures. And so they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. So he's been explaining to these readers how Jesus has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You ever heard of Melchizedek before? Melchizedek is this um, figure from the Old Testament. We read about him in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 14. Uh, he actually visits Abraham. And who's Abraham? Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. It all started, uh, when he came to the people of Israel, it all started with Abraham. And so this is how one artist has portrayed this encounter in Genesis 14 between Melchizedek and Abraham. And really what the writer's doing in a nutshell is the writer's trying to um, explain to his audience how there's continuity between the person of Jesus Christ and the Hebrew Scriptures. There's continuity between Jesus and the Old Testament, uh, which would have been important to them as Jewish people to see how Jesus was a fulfillment of all the promises God made to the people of Israel. And then as he's getting deeper and deeper into his argument, and I would encourage you when you get home today, maybe check out Hebrews 5. You'll see what I'm talking about. He's getting deeper and deeper into his argument. He's like an attorney. He's making his case. His argument is getting more complex, more involved. Well, then in chapter 5 and verse 11, he just interrupts himself. He stops himself mid-sentence, and he basically says, there's more that I want to say here, but I can't. Because he realizes at this point that he's probably lost his audience and he's talking over their heads. And like any effective communicator, he doesn't want to do that. No communicator should ever want to lose their audience. Amen? In fact, I remember um, we actually have youth who are going to the Warren Willis camp this week. Uh, they leave tomorrow morning. And so make sure to keep our youth in your prayers as they uh, head out to camp uh, tomorrow. But when I was in college... Um, I served on team for three summers as a counselor at the Warren Willis Camp. Uh, I was talking about this earlier this morning. And so my last summer on team, uh, I had a friend of mine. Uh, he was a religion major like I was in college, and he was this really smart guy. Uh, he also knew that he was pretty smart, and he would talk about that sometimes. Uh, and he had this tendency to talk over people's heads. And so it was Monday morning, and the campers were going to arrive in a few hours, 
And so all the counselors had woken up in the morning, and uh, we were going to the uh, benches over by the lake for morning devotions. And this friend of mine, he was scheduled to give the devotion that morning. So he's giving this devotion, and he has this sense that it's not going well. He's looking at people, and on their faces, just a bunch of blank expressions. Uh, thankfully, I don't see that right now uh, as I look at you. But when he looked at people, just some blank expressions. And so afterwards, he was finished. He comes up to me, and he says, Chris, I think 75% of the people had no idea what I was even saying. And then he just laughed about it as if it was a big joke. And I couldn't help but think to myself, why are you laughing about that? That's not a good thing. No communicator, especially a preacher, somebody charged with proclaiming the greatest news on the planet, the good news of Jesus Christ, no communicator, especially a preacher, should ever want to lose their audience. And if I've lost you this morning, you know what? Just nod your head, uh, just showing that you're tracking with me. It would make me feel better. You don't want to talk down to people because people are smart, but you do want to talk in a way that connects to them, that resonates with them. And the writer of Hebrews wants to do that. The writer of Hebrews wants to connect to his audience, and yet he also recognizes that no matter how he spends the material, they're not at a place in their faith development where that information is going to make sense. No matter how he spends this material, they're not at a place in their faith development where that information is going to make sense. It'd be like teaching algebra to somebody who doesn't comprehend basic math. Two plus two is four. Four plus four is eight. Some of you are laughing right now about that. I struggle with math sometimes. Or uh, to use a different analogy, it'd be like reading Shakespeare to somebody who hasn't gotten past Peter Rabbit. There's nothing wrong with Peter Rabbit. Uh, Amanda and I, we're reading Peter, Peter Rabbit to Hannah Noah these days. But you get to a point where you want to go deeper. The writer of Hebrews wants to lead his audience into the mysteries of the Christian faith. But then he comes to the sobering reality that they're not ready for that. And why does that upset him so much? Why does that agitate him? Why does that concern him? Because it's not as if they shouldn't be ready. These are not rookie Christians. These are not new converts. These folks have been following Jesus for a while. They should be in the big leagues. They're stuck in T-ball. Listen again with me to what the writer says in verse 12. Notice, he doesn't hold back. He just says what he's thinking. You have been believers so long now. Not you have been believers for a short amount of time. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So when describing the spiritual maturity of his readers, the writer of Hebrews likens them, not even to children. Who does he liken them to? To babies. Now, it's not meant as an insult against babies or a derision against babies. All of us love babies, amen? Babies are cute. Babies are adorable. We're obsessed with babies. But when somebody who's an adult starts acting like a baby, there's something weird about that, amen? There's something bizarre about that. There's something strange about that. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, check out this commercial. Oh. Act your age. Get your own insurance. Progressive makes the best commercials, don't they? One of these days, I'm going to find a way to include the commercial with that guy who's trying to teach adults how not to become like their parents. And so, yeah, stay tuned. That's in another sermon. Or maybe, Will, you might be able to work that into a message one of these days. 
the point here is we expect babies to act like babies to do baby things. We expect toddlers to act like toddlers to do toddler things. We expect children to act like children to do childlike things. But when somebody who should be an adult doesn't act their age, we say to ourselves, hold on a minute, time out. That's weird. Here's the question I want us to think about this morning. Why is it any different when it comes to our faith? As the writer of Hebrews makes clear, it shouldn't be any different when it comes to our faith. Folks, we are not called to stay where we were when we initially followed Jesus Christ. Whether that was yesterday, whether that was two months ago, or whether that was 17 years ago, we're not called to remain where we were when we initially followed Jesus Christ. Instead, by the good grace of God, we are called to press on. We are called to mature. We are called to grow. Unlike Peter Pan, who famously declared, I won't grow up, our mantra as Christ followers should be, we will grow up. Can you say those words with me? We will grow up. That growing up isn't an option for us. It's a commandment, it's a mandate, it's a must. All right. Fair enough. But what does that even mean, right? I mean, what does it mean to grow up spiritually? What does it mean to reject Peter Pan Christianity? What does that look like practically on the ground? Well, to be fair to the writer of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews talks about this, um, he's talking specifically about knowing Christian doctrine, knowing Christian teaching. Uh, and that's important. There's no question about that. But what I want to do this morning for just a few minutes is I want to talk about this in a broader sense, in a more general sense, what it means for us to reject Peter Pan Christianity and to embrace spiritual maturity. Number one, it means this. It means taking our faith in Jesus Christ seriously. Taking our faith in Jesus Christ seriously. Folks, our faith in Jesus Christ is not meant to be an accessory. It's not meant to be an add-on. It's not meant to play a cursory role in our lives. It's meant to inform every piece of our existence, every aspect of who we are. Our marriage, if we're married. Our parenting, if we're parents how we conduct ourselves at home, how we conduct ourselves at work, how we conduct ourselves on I-4 when we're stuck in traffic, which is a struggle for me sometimes, uh, but how we invest ourselves, how we invest our resources. And by the way, if we're going to take our faith in Jesus Christ seriously, then we're also going to take the church seriously. The church is Jesus' bride, as the New Testament teaches. Jesus died for the church. He gave his own life for the church. And so, folks, if we want to follow Jesus Christ on this planet, if we want to embrace spiritual maturity, then at some point we have to connect to a local church. Don't hop around at different churches. Instead, at some point, after a lot of prayer and discernment and thought, find a church. And then when you find a church, and hopefully for most of us that's Asbury, but then once you find a church, invest in that church. In the same way that you invest in your marriage, in the same way that you invest in your children, in the same way that you invest in anything that matters to you in your life, invest in your church. That's the community in which God wants to grow you. Be in worship as often as possible. What we're doing here this morning. Not just when you have a Sunday morning available, but as often as possible. In fact, that's why as a congregation a few months ago, we raised money to improve our online services because we wanted to make sure that even if folks couldn't attend in person, they could join us online. And so we encourage you, if you can't be here in person, then join us online on Sunday morning. Worship is one of the primary channels that God uses to change us. 
to transform us. Worship is so critically important, I cannot overstate this. And in addition to making worship a priority, make spiritual practices a priority. Carve out time for spiritual practices like prayer, scripture reading in your everyday life. Join us for morning prayer on Facebook. How many of you have been a part of morning prayer in the past? Uh, if you're not familiar with morning prayer, we have the information in the bulletin. Uh, but basically, every Monday through Friday, either Pastor Will or myself or Pastor Barbara, we lead us in a time of live prayer, 8.30 a.m. on Asbury's Facebook page. We would love to see you there. But spiritual practices are another way uh, that God fills us, that God uses to change us and transform us. Be an ambassador for Asbury in the community. Invite those who you know without a church home, and all of us know folks without a church home. Invite those who you know without a church home to attend worship with you on Sunday morning. When was the last time that we went out of our way to invite somebody to attend worship with us on Sunday? I ask this question to myself as much as I ask it to you. Pitch in, volunteer, help out, serve in some capacity. If something isn't right or you feel like something should be different, then be part of the solution. Don't gripe or complain about it, but actually pitch in and try to make things different. And by the way, if we're also going to move beyond Peter Pan Christianity and really uh, follow Jesus Christ in this world, this one cannot be avoided. Tom talked about it earlier. And let me preface this by saying that I'm speaking in particular to those of us who have a source of income right now. I realize that 2020 was a hard year. 2021 has also been a difficult year. So if you're at a place in life where you don't have a source of income, this may not apply to you right now. Hopefully it will in the future, but maybe not right now. But make financial giving to the church a priority. There's no way around this. If we want to get serious about following Jesus Christ in this world, then we have to allow Jesus to be Lord over everything, including our finances. This is something that I struggled with for a long time. This is something that a lot of people struggle with. And we come up with all ways, all different kinds of ways to justify ourselves. You know, we make comments like, well, I don't, I don't tithe my money, but I tithe my time. You ever heard that one before? I remember some years ago, this wasn't at Asbury, but I was in a different church and I was in a meeting and somebody made that comment. I don't tithe my money, but I tithe my time. And after this person made that comment, I, was, um, I went home that night and I was lying in bed and I was awake and I couldn't fall asleep because I thought to myself, I have failed this person as their pastor. Whatever gave her that impression that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Discipleship, in other words, following Jesus is not a la carte. It's not, okay, I like what it says here in column A, but I don't like what it says in column B. Jesus doesn't want our time or our money. You know what Jesus wants? Jesus wants our time and our money. Jesus wants it all. Discipleship, following Jesus, is about giving our whole selves over to God and not holding anything back. And folks, this morning I want to make clear that there are many different ways to give our whole selves over to God through the church. I'm just barely skimming the surface. This is the tip of the iceberg. We could talk about this for quite a while. I'm not going to do that this morning, but we could talk about this for a long time. But ask any church leader, and any church leader would tell you that Peter Pan Christianity inhibits our personal spiritual growth. But not only does Peter Pan Christianity inhibit our personal spiritual growth, Peter Pan Christianity inhibits the ministry of local churches like Asbury. 
Local churches like Asbury are not nearly as effective as they could be because of Peter Pan Christianity. And if anybody understands that, there's a friend of mine who does. His name is Dale Locke. And so I'm gonna close out this message by sharing his story with you. Back in the um, late 1990s, Dale founded Community of Hope United Methodist Church in Loxahatchee, Florida. Anybody ever heard of Loxahatchee before? Just north of West Palm Beach. And so this church was founded, I think it was in 1998. And initially, uh, the church did really well after it was founded. It was in a community that was growing rapidly. And so as the church was, or as the community was growing, the church was growing. Before they knew it, they had 600 people in worship on a Sunday morning between all their services. But when Dale looks back on that period, he'll say now, you know what? We were a mile wide as a church, but we were an inch deep. Yeah, we had a lot of people. We had a nice crowd, but I'm not so sure we had disciples of Jesus Christ. It all came to a head in 2004. This was 17 years ago. Now, if you were in Florida during that time, you might remember that we had not one, not two, not three. How many hurricanes? Four hurricanes. Back to back to back to back, just one hurricane after another. Well, during that time, Community Hope was meeting in a school. They hadn't yet raised the money to secure a permanent building. And so because they were meeting in a school and they had all those hurricanes in a row, the government shut down the school, which meant the church wasn't able to meet there. And so because they couldn't meet for worship on Sunday morning, they didn't have services at all. This was before online worship. Thankfully, we have that today. This was 2004. If you didn't have in-person service, you didn't have service at all. Not only that, but during that time, there was a mega church that planted a satellite campus right next to the Community of Hope. And so during that month's time, a lot of folks who considered Community of Hope to be their church home, without even thinking about it, they just got up. They left. Leaving was easy for them. It was simple. And so by the time the church finally opened back up, after all those hurricanes, they went from having 600 people in worship on a Sunday morning to 300 people in worship. Their congregation was cut in half in one month's time. Dale had spent the last six years of his life investing in that church, sometimes even to the neglect of his family, as he would have been. When that happened, he was discouraged. He actually, I mean, he's really transparent when he tells the story. He got so depressed, he went on antidepressants. His doctor prescribed him that. He thought about quitting the ministry, tossing in the towel, but then after a lot of prayer and going to God, he went back to his leadership team and he said, you know what? If we're not gonna grow bigger during this season, then we're gonna grow deeper. If we're not gonna grow numerically, we're gonna grow spiritually. And so he really, along with the leadership, they really began to focus on discipleship. And it wasn't easy. Even the people who were still there, they got kind of, they got kind of upset because they were used to a more relaxed version of Christianity. You know, you come to service and you drink some coffee and you hear some good music and a nice message and not too much is expected. You go home. But you know what happened? God eventually blessed their efforts. In 2019, two years ago, Community of Hope was listed as the fastest growing church in our entire denomination. They now have an average worship attendance of just under 2,000 people. Uh, my friend Trevor, uh, he's in my covenant group. He's actually the associate pastor at that church. And Dale will tell you, he attributes that growth to what happened in 2004 when as a congregation, they had a come to Jesus moment, they hit rock bottom, and they began to reject Peter Pan Christianity. Folks, imagine what could happen here. 
Imagine what could happen in our midst at Asbury if all of us together, by the grace of God, we decided to reject Peter Pan Christianity. If we said, Lord Jesus, we're going to follow you. We're going to give our whole selves over to you through the ministry of this church that you have called into existence. We're not going to hold back. We're going to attend worship as often as possible, either in person or online. We're going to invite our unchurched family members and friends to be in worship with us. We're going to engage in spiritual practices like prayer, scripture reading. We're going to give of our finances. We're going to give sacrificially. And when we're upset about something, if something rubs us the wrong way, we're going to work it out because the church is far too important to throw away, to toss aside. Rather than embracing Peter Pan Christianity, by your good grace, we're going to embrace spiritual maturity. We're going to become the men, the women, the people that you intend for us to be. Folks, I really do believe in my heart of hearts that if we did that, we would become an unstoppable force that would change this world, that would transform our community, that not even the gates of hell would prevail against us. And so by God's grace, let's do it. Let's reject Peter Pan Christianity. Let's embrace spiritual maturity. Let's see what God does right here in our midst and the time ahead. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have indeed called us to yourself in Jesus Christ, that you have invited us to be disciples, followers of Jesus who walk in the way that leads to life. God, forgive me, forgive us for those times when we have embraced Peter Pan Christianity. It's easy for us to do in this culture of ours, uh, this consumerist culture where everything is just handed to us. But discipleship involves sacrifice. It involves commitment. So help us, God, to be committed to you, not with some of who we are, not with most of who we are, but all of who we are, to invest our time, our treasure, our talent in your kingdom work among us. Thank you, God, for Asbury. Thank you that you have called me to be one of the pastors of this church. What a privilege this is. And thank you for the opportunity to continue to worship you this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.